Welcome to Cross Culture-ish. The podcast where nerdy traveler friends talk about everyday cultural experiences. We're learning a lot and want to learn with you. This process is fun and sometimes it's funny. So why not record it? Welcome, everyone, to another episode of our podcast, Cross Culture-ish. So good to be back with everyone here. How are you all doing? Good. Good. David, do you want to say hello? Hi, I'm doing well. Greetings. Welcome. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. You want to say hello? Hi. Lauren. Hello. Aaliyah. Hi, everyone. Thank you for asking. I'm kind of cranky and I'm kind of tired, but I'm happy to be with you all. I know. It's really good to see you all. I don't know. Maybe I'm feeling... It's really great to hear you all. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's been quite the week for several of us. We'll get back to that in a little bit. This is a show where we talk about culture, different things that happen when different worldviews and different sets of ideals meet and they clash. And today we will be talking about travel. Now, we understand that travel is a big subject. So there's a lot of different aspects to travel. It could be where do you go? How do you behave when you travel? What are the your favorite places to go? What food you eat? How do you prepare? And so we will not cover all those things. But rather we thought Which that shoes not, to pack? Oh, which <laughs> shoes to pack? That that is that is very true. Do you pack boots or all-purpose shoes? I come across that <laughs> that dilemma all the time. But the holidays are coming up. Thanksgiving in the United States and Christmas now in December, and it's the travel season. Now with a global pandemic and elections and the way that quarantine and policies and everything is going, we know, and it's not unreasonable to suspect that travel culture has, and maybe indeed will continue to change. That's what we'll be talking about today. We will be talking about how travel culture has changed and has COVID affected how you travel. But before, let's dive into our weekly obsessions. Is anyone going to sing? Oh, I, was, I, I saw I, you looked like you were going to do it. So Someone do else it. should try. Aaliyah, you sing. I don't think I know the jingle. I mean, I can make one up if that's Yeah, you make what it up asking. every time. It's whatever comes. Okay, ready? It's time for weekly obsession. That was my I beatboxing. I dig it. I did. <laughs> <laughs> that was your beatboxing. Thanks for explaining. That was awesome. <laughs> Like, what was that? Was that Thank like a you. stadium anthem? Like, what genre would you have? <laughs> like, a stadium anthem. <laughs> or like roller rink? Yeah. Well, to we be honest, will, I wasn't planning. Uh, yeah, I wasn't planning on beatboxing, but I kind of stalled, and that seemed to be like my go to, oddly enough, which. I like it. I like it. Thank you. So, this is a segment where we talk about what are the things, whether they're media items or food or different objects that we find not just enjoyable, but maybe a little bit obsessive. And so I'd like to open up uh, with anyone who has a weekly obsession that they can share with us. And it's something that we always hope is a little bit cultural, right? I mean, it's a weekly obsession that has some sort of cultural element. I know we've kind of gotten off course in episodes past, but... That's true. That's true. It's a good way to recenter us. I appreciate that. Well, we try to keep it cross culture ish around here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what are your cross culture ish obsessions, ladies and gentlemen? I have an obsession that sort of stems from one of my other obsessions, which is 
Oh my gosh. What is the name Queer of the show? Eye. Thank you. Queer oh my eye. gosh. <laughs> this is my Friday. So I have an obsession stems from one of my other obsessions, which is Queer Eye. Also, one of my other obsessions is audiobooks from like famous people, like music, like artists or actors, how, what have you. So, like memoir audiobooks? Yes, is that what you mean? memoir usually. When yeah. they and read it themselves. Yes, the they have to read it, it themselves. Yeah. I love those. So, recently, Tan France, who's from Queer Eye, his book came out, which is called Naturally Tan, very clever little name. And he reads it. And so I listened to it. And it's a really fascinating book just on because he's English just his like childhood upbringing as a Pakistani background Muslim background but in the UK and then moving to the United States and he actually married a guy from Wyoming who's like no one on like he's no one famous and he actually they met in Utah and he actually comes from a Mormon background but isn't Mormon currently so it's a very interesting they, he doesn't talk about his relationship a ton but just his life and and kind of how he's moved all over, but he talks very, very directly about his experience as Muslim, as Pakistani, and just like kind of the things that, just the things that were said to him and just his like school experiences. But then he also talks about how life for him really changed after 9-11, which also very interesting. So yeah, I would highly recommend it. I finally finished it this week and it was really good. I'm going to add that to my to read. Mm-hmm. Or to yeah, listen. I'm, I'm always interested in like what happens when the inter- intersectionality of a person is in like diametric opposition, right? Like in some ways, like the yeah. fact that, you know, you're Muslim, but you're gay, but you're male, but you're minority, but you're married a Mormon. And how do you work those things out? Because I think that's a lot of internal things that then also dictate how we deal and work with external people that are different, you know, when those, when those clashes happen too, it's almost like internal culture clashes. And, and it's really interesting to, to hear how people process through those. That's a a lot of culture crossing. Sarah, I have a question for you and you can say no. After listening to the hours of audiobook with Tan, can you do a Tan France impersonation? (laughs) No, (laughs) no, his English accent is like, it's a little different. So no, I can't. And even if it was like a more common one, I still wouldn't. It'd be horrible. <laughs> so no, I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you for that obsession, Sarah. That's awesome. Thanks for that that recommendation. And then <laughs> what just happened? Okay, what is Lancer? Yeah, let's let's start a segment <laughs> called Weekly Rex. Weekly Rex. Recommendation. <laughs> let's just go back to my beatboxing. <laughs> that's the that's, that's the jingle for episode. the recommendation. I'll share mine quickly. I'm glad it's a little bit of of a celebration as well. I gained some significant weight since quarantine started in March. And I can say that I actually am back to below my pre quarantine weight. So I'm pretty, pretty happy about that. But I did so by um, I've been practicing Muay Thai again. I'm not obsessed with it, but I kind of am because like I'm making sure that I do it every day. And so the part that's been really interesting this time around, without going into a lot of details, I practice Muay Thai in my garage and there's a makeshift Muay Thai gym there, but there's also a TV in the garage and it's playing the Muay Thai channel. I don't know what channel it is, but it's, it's just like Muay Thai fights all the time. And I've never been a big fan of like boxing or, you know, MMA or something like that, but it's been super interesting to watch like 
how the audiences react to it and what's similar and different. Like for every fight, whether it's male or female, there's like a little dance that they always do, how the presenters present themselves, what are the COVID restrictions. And so that's been kind of the little bit obsessive part. Because there's fighters from all over the world, but the fights are in Thailand. And I was going to ask if the Muay Thai channel was showing fights from Thailand or somewhere else. So I believe they're all they all take place in Thailand, but like, and a good number of the fighters are Thai. But there's Belgian, actually a lot of Middle Eastern fighters. I would, if I had to make a judgment on just that channel, is apparently Muay Thai is pretty big in the Middle East as well. From you know Jordan, Lebanon. Israel, like a lot of, I don't know. I don't know if someone is listening as familiar as Muay Thai big in, in the Middle East. Sarah? If people don't know, <laughs> though, Muay Thai is the traditional martial art of Thailand, right? Is yes, that right? Correct. It involves knees and elbows and kicks and boxing. Although there's different, depending on what level you're fighting, like you can't use, you know, you can't use elbows depending on what level you're fighting. There's certain moves that are banned now, but... But yes, so that's my weekly obsession. It's been a good break from work just to like get some work aggression out. So that's been <laughs> that's my weekly obsession. Congratulations. Oh, well, thank you. So we already introed our main topic for today, which is travel. But really what we're really talking about are different culture clashes that are happening right now within the travel industry because of this major global pandemic event. And so... I guess what I'm trying to say is today's culture clash is just one big giant clash. And so I wanted to spend time asking, what about travel has changed? And can you give us an example, you know, regardless of how far away you've traveled or for how long you've traveled? I think the first thing that I've noticed, and this is a little bit back, I would assume, because I think I know we all had different plans that were disrupted by COVID. I think the fact that travel seems uncertain is a very different reality than 12 months ago. I mean, really at any other time in my life, I've never felt like my travel plans were 50-50 going to happen. It's like, oh, I bought a ticket for that date and I'm going to go. And like in a big macro scale, that gives an entirely different feel to travel. As I even consider, you know, you'd said earlier, we're coming up to the holidays. If I think, what am I going to do in November? What am I going to do in December? In the back of my head already, I feel like my own internal culture has changed to think if it happens. Like I don't make plans for travel and think with certainty that it will, which is very different than not too long ago. With that, a part of the uncertainty for me is not so much the, is this trip going to happen? Is it not? But it's the unknown or the uncertainty of being in a new environment. So David and I just traveled last week for work. And I mean, some of the uncertainty is I know what is expected where I live. I know that when I walk out my door, I have to wear a mask. I know the majority of people are, are you know, following certain rules. But when we were traveling, I didn't know the culture of where I was going. I didn't know what it was going to feel like there or how people were going to respond. So that unknown for me is the thing that is a new challenge. That's interesting you say that, Aliyah. Can I ask you to, to elaborate? How does that feel different or how do you compare it? Because I know everyone here has traveled to contexts where they're not part of the culture, right? And so yeah. how is it similar or different? How would you compare it to before COVID going somewhere where the culture is completely different to what you're used to? 
Sure. I think in a lot of ways, like when we've all traveled, we've tried to observe what that new culture is and then honor and respect it. So whether that is we're changing our behavior to match the culture or we're changing certain aspects of what might feel natural or comfortable to us, we are going to honor and respect the culture in which we're visiting or living in as foreigners. And with COVID, it's not that way. Like, If I'm traveling in a place where people take COVID less seriously or I don't see as many masks or whatever it is, like social distancing isn't happening, there's no way that I'm going to uh, like accommodate that or that I'm going to change my behavior to to fit in with that. So that's where like the tension is. And that's where I think a big difference is. To go off a little bit on what David said in terms of the, the unpredictability I know even me buying plane tickets is has changed yeah. for me. So because there's just so much more flexibility and there's no change fees. And I feel like before I'd buy plane tickets, like you kind of have to know your plans and you have to know that these are what you're, this is what you're going to do. These are the days you're going to fly. And there's really not a lot of variance and you're not going to get your money back. And so it's just kind of nice, I would say, to be able to buy tickets and know, well, you know what, that trip might not happen, but I'm still going to, that money isn't a loss and I'll be able to use it somewhere or maybe I'll even get a refund just kind of depending. So, but I've also noticed as well, just in my ticket buying, my flights are getting changed all the time on my itineraries. Yeah. Everything just seems kind of up in the air as kind of David had alluded to as well. Like just maybe that flight will leave at 9.45. Oh wait, no, they changed it to 10. Oh wait, no, they changed it to 10.05. Like it just, yeah, it's interesting to kind of watch that that movement anyway. Oh, that's interesting you say that because I would, I would think that that uncertainty or that variability is actually pretty common in other contexts. Maybe not when it comes to like flights, you know, or plane tickets, but maybe when it comes to other modes modes of travel, like buses or like, or trains, or, you know, I've been in countries where like the train is on time on the dot there. And I've been to other countries where it's like, yeah, you know, it's going to arrive at nine, but could be 920, could be 850. (laughs) could be. And so I'm not saying that it's better or worse. I think it's just interesting how this pandemic has turned what for us in our culture is a more structured part of, of life into something that it just doesn't have that structure. Yeah, pre-COVID travel, at least air travel in the States, was pretty rigid, right? Like very hard rules. Like Sarah said, your fair fee, you can't like, you know, you, there's just there's hard lines and it doesn't seem to be that anymore. Lauren, I have a question for you. As a nurse, I've noticed that you think of travel differently because of the implications that you're profession has for people that are medical workers or work at a hospital how has travel changed in terms of not even just the the act of traveling but like thinking about travel so in rough conversations with my coworkers, some people are like i'm like over covid we need to get back to normal like yes it's going to be out there but we need to like have life as normal They seem to be in the minority. Those people seem to be like willing to travel more frequently and go places even in the past couple of months. But the vast majority of my coworkers are like, yeah, we're not going anywhere. If we do, it's for like this very specific and with very specific precautions. And there's no like leisure travel or even a relatively urgent travel going on. We're all just basically staying put. We all like know that we're 
where we see COVID, we're back to seeing COVID on a pretty much daily basis. There was a couple of weeks in my pediatric population that we weren't seeing it every shift. Um, there'd be like, oh, a couple of cases a week that we would see pop through the ER. We're back to seeing cases pretty much daily. So I feel like most people are going to really kind of bat, like batten down the hatches again. And uh, the general consensus is we're going to have to ride this through until the end of flu season. So we've basically <laughs> given up on any sense of normalcy until at least after in the Northeast, the flu season runs through about the very earliest, the end of March, the very latest, the somewhere in May, usually it depends on the season, depends on the, on the vaccine. It depends on a lot of different factors and no one knows how flu season is, season is going to be with COVID and with people being indoors, not as much or indoors more and not out in public as much. So no one really knows, but we're basically not we're not looking for a light at the end of the tunnel until at least March. So how do you feel, Lauren, about holiday travel? I mean, if to anyone listening out there, if you could encourage them one way or the other, what would you say? It's really hard. I have gone back and forth pretty much daily or weekly based on holiday travel. I mean, I get the emotional and mental benefits of seeing your family and having some sense of normalcy. But I also understand the fact of like asymptomatic carriers and the fact that, you know, you can be healthy and still give it to someone else. And then you're just spreading it in pockets, you know, all over the country. As far as Thanksgiving goes, like, you know, we have like a basically right now about a month to go until Thanksgiving and the trends are not looking good. So I don't know what's going to happen. If they get too much more out of control, it's going to be hard to justify holiday travel. I think it's interesting just to that point. I was thinking, and some of us were discussing this recently, like a very basic level definition of culture is the way we do things around here. That's a great way if you're kind of not sure, hey, hey, like what's culture? And that's why it works for towns and states. It's the way we do things around here. And so to that point, I think the interesting part of COVID with all of the challenges it's brought, but for like travel, when we are coming up to something as ritualistic as holiday celebration, it really challenges that idea of what we do. Like, what do we do for Thanksgiving? And even though there's this new external influence that can influence some and maybe is influencing a lot to think, well, you know, the way we do things around here this year is influenced by all this stuff. But then there's that other part of us, you know, myself included, that's like, but this isn't what we do, right? Like, it's not Thanksgiving if we don't XYZ, whatever, you know, whatever that thing we do is, right? And so it's just so interesting to watch others navigate it. And it's challenging to navigate it internally, right? Like to try to think your way through these things of how do we do it? And am I willing to let my internal culture be influenced by this external thing, COVID, enough to really adjust my behavior? Or will my inter internal culture stay rooted. Yeah, I think it's a comfort thing. I think there's comfort and security in the known of, well, this is how we do it. And so to say, yeah, you know what? This is usually how we do it. This is usually what Thanksgiving looks like. But this year, we're going to do it differently for the sake of the global pandemic that we're experiencing. That makes people uncomfortable. Like, it's unknown. It's new. It's uncomfortable, I guess. I can't think of a better word. Marcos? Yeah, no, I have two two questions. These are these really good. And the first one is is have you all I know some of us had had have had to travel in some way, shape, or form recently. And so 
Can you think of a way that you noticed that you're doing things differently when you had to travel? Because really, that's how culture gets created and how it shifts. I noticed that I'm far less social with strangers. And not that I am, well, I guess I am pretty chatty, actually. Like, And, and I like finding... <laughs> ways to make a conversation with someone next to me or whatever it is. And I notice that I don't do that as much whether I'm traveling or even when I'm just out at the grocery store or whatever it is. And I've tried to figure out why. And I think like the the thing that I've concluded is I decide who I'm going to talk to if they have a friendly disposition or if they seem like someone who would be open to some light chit chat. And I have a really hard time reading people with their mask on. So I am much more timid and I feel much more, not cautious, but like almost insecure about starting a conversation with someone because I can't read their face. It's just the new normal. It's hard to read. I wonder if we're forced to learn other ways to read people's... Yeah. You I do. think we are. Yeah. As someone who wears a mask for 12 plus hours a day at work, you do get better at reading people's like eyebrow expressions and their body language. And you do, you can subliminally, I can't tell you exactly how, but I can read people better than I could back in March when we started wearing masks all the time. And they can, like, they're better, like, reading you and, like, you know, that kind of stuff. So you do get better the more you practice it, but it is a new, it's kind of a weird new skill that we have to do. I would imagine you guys have figured out ways to communicate with each other differently and whether even that was conscious or subconscious, you started using similar things like if eyebrow raise or like head nods and stuff like that's just human communication. Yeah, very imperceptible to the patients, but perceptible to my staff members. If I can shoot someone a look in like 0.2 seconds and they know exactly what I'm thinking. Very subtle like eyebrow and eye communications like, and they know exactly what I need. And it also comes from working with people all the time, but yeah, it's magnified with masks on. It's kind of like how you start using the same mannerisms as friends that you spend a lot of time with. And you say similar things or you, you know, kind of do, you, you just start using the same communication tools. That's fascinating. How about you, David or Sarah? I know you've traveled recently. What, have you caught yourself doing something differently or that you choose, again, whether you chose to do something differently or whether you felt forced to do something differently in your travel experience? Yeah. One of the biggest changes I saw was how they're boarding airplanes. And that was, I mean, I think I traveled initially maybe in beginning of May. And so they had already been doing this, but usually people with like status, like their groups one or two, those are the people that get to board first. You get to go on the airplane first, you sit there and, and then everyone boards after you. Everyone bumps you on the way they, by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I would say there's benefits to it. To some extent, you're not standing in long lines. You can have your pick of the luggage you know, a, whatever. Coveted overhead um, space. So there's good things. Yes. Coveted overhead space. But there is an element that you really do have like just a lot of people just walk by you. And so then I noticed the few times that I've traveled, what their what airlines are doing now is boarding from back to front and numbers versus status, which I think is more effective. It's so efficient. Yes. It's so much so faster. Efficient. It's so much faster. And I'm curious to see if that will last simply because people with status really do love their status. So I think it was really great to walk on board the plane last. Like I loved it. I just got on and sat down and we were ready to go. It was actually really great. I personally really liked it. But what I really noticed that was different was the disembarking. How do we say yeah. that in English? Um, yeah. um, that works. <laughs> Unloading. I know exactly how, how you're you, thinking. Yeah. Deplaning. 
I think that's what they say. Yes. Deplaning. I Before think that's the, the correct the aircraft. Term. Yeah. So deplane. They. I've noticed a difference. I think it's gotten a little bit more lax. But in the beginning, it was they were going to call groups of five. But the biggest change I noticed was when the seatbelt signs went off and everything stopped. No one got up, which to me was like remarkably shocking because that is usually people are getting up, they're grabbing things, they're pushing, you know, like it's just chaos and no one got up until their five numbers were called. And then people kind of, kind of cautiously got up and did their thing. They were a lot more polite, but the fact that no one stood up was, that was like, I didn't know what to do with it. That's behavior change. Like that's crazy. The group's behavior would change not overnight, but in a sense, overnight, right? There's an Um, interesting case study in that. I have memories of flights pre-COVID where they've got on the speaker and said, there's a number of people that have really tight connections. If you aren't connecting, please stay in your chair. And I'm like, I'm not going to wait in my chair. No one lets those people (laughs) out. Well, it doesn't make sense either because they're like way in the back. And so like if I were to try to be kind and wait and stay seated, there's nothing but aisle in front of me. So why don't I just get out? But, But for COVID, but you know what I mean? Like for COVID, I am more like, okay, I'll stay seated. You know what I mean? Like, why would I not do it for the person who has a tight connection? But I will for... David, I think I've missed a flight because of people like you. I'm just going to say. No, it's probably true. Seriously, for real It's probably true. So annoying. That's really... I've only traveled once and it was last month, September. I traveled by myself. And it's it's funny. And I think it's a segue to the next question that I want to ask is, I find that giving up some of the stuff that you're used to, like you, you all were saying, there's almost like you have to go through like the five stages of grief in a way. Can I, can I just add one thing to what you said? And you asked earlier, like how's travel shifted? I know because we've talked off podcast about how the five of us are doing road trips. And I would say for the five of us as 30 something professionals without kids. We weren't really going on road trips last year, right? Like <laughs> right. we were hopping on planes. <laughs> we, we were, were in flying. Rico. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I will add to that. I will add to that. I think I should have said at the beginning of the episode, like all of us here, either before COVID or at some point in our professional lives, we're traveling at least once, if not multiple times a month, right? Like this was something that, that I, you know, there's a period in my life that I was traveling once a month, twice a month for multiple days, right? And I just like, you know, and so, so it's definitely different, but yes, continue. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. The five of us were airplane travelers. Like that was our primary mode of, of vacation and work. And I just recognize in myself, one, it was a slow transition, where in the first few months of COVID, getting in a car and driving somewhere didn't seem normal. Because back to that, like, that's just not what we do, right? That's not what we do around here. It was actually my parents, who I believe are faithful listeners to this podcast, that had said, like, when we were talking, they said, you could go for a drive. You could go for a road trip. And I was like, that sounds like something that you would do a long time ago. (laughs) Okay, boomer. Yeah, exactly. It was like, okay, okay, boomer, like, go on a road trip. But Aaliyah and I have actually learned to really enjoy it. Like over the last few months, we've found a number of places that are an hour drive away, two hour drive away. 
And road trips, folks, are really nice to to the <laughs> listeners. Like, we've try turned to... into the Sunday Drive people. <laughs> well, and it's not just us, right? Because we also watch Good Morning America and the Today Show, and apparently, everyone in the country in the United States of America is like RVs are at the highest sales. Like, people are going on road trips. All these used like cars are used, more expensive it, than they were in March. Yeah. So. I think if we're talking like again back on a macro level of how travel has been influenced and what's different, we go on road trips now. So that actually a great transition because I want to say if you had to think, you have to put your Nostradamus hat, and I don't mean that in a mystical way. I'm just trying to be funny, but uh, <laughs> I don't understand that reference. What is that? You know Nostradamus? What? No. You know Nostradamus, the Are like uh, the predictor, the philosopher, the uh, I don't know where he was from. Nostradamus, the French astrologer, astrologer that was known for like predicting the future yeah. and 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 medieval times. I think he was in like the 1500s. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, how could I no, not know? I have no. Like Nostradamus, I mean, I'm with you. you. <laughs> I'm with you, Marcos. Nostradamus. <laughs> I get your reference. The, no worries. The public school system did not do me well. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, yeah, he was like a, a predictor and, you know, oh, anyways. Okay. Got it. Well, now I understand um, the context. Repeat your statement. <laughs> so, so Would you, you prefer like a Kyle Harry hat? Potter reference? Know. Like what, what was the thing is. in Harry Potter that he looked into? The like little wishing bowl or whatever, the reflective the pensive? thing. The pensieve? The pensieve. But that actually if went backwards. Wanna... That actually went oh. backwards and you looked at dreams and thought. So wrong thing. You actually That's want the... Professor Trelawney and her... And her uh, fortune bowls. So, and her fortune telling things. So, the tea right. leaves. We digress. <laughs> Look into the crystal ball. In her tea leaves. Right. In her crystal ball. We're, we're getting all the occult stuff now. Everyone, sorry. That's not what I meant. Everyone I'm sorry. That. I really had no Anyways. idea what you were talking about. Looking into your crystal ball. Yes. If you had to make an informed guess. <laughs> well, now you can use the reference. I know what it means. <laughs> What do you think might be some of these new norms that are here to stay? And maybe some of it's wishful thinking and maybe some of it is just you thinking that this is how it's going to be from now on. I think as we see travelers in other parts of the world wear masks, I think we will see that ongoing. I don't think it will be everybody, but there will be a percentage of people in North America that will be mask wearers when they travel. You know, something that pre-COVID, I would say, and it's somewhat of a stereotype, but also like observable behavior that people in Asia would wear face masks when they would travel airplanes, trains, buses. But when you realize why they do it, it's a history, like a shared experience of respiratory illness, and it's a behavior that people adopted and then replicated and continue. I think we will see mask wearers in North America for a while. To that point, you know, I before quarantine and before working remotely, I traveled New York City public transportation every day. And every now and then you would see some an Asian traveler, an Asian, you know, rider wearing and it was usually Asian, East Asian, you know, um wearing mask and that was weird is a strong word, but it would definitely like stand out, right? Like it's definitely stand out because it's the only person there. It's not normative. And I think yes, I think it'll be normative. Yeah. I have a simple one only in that one of the things that has changed is they give you a a little alcohol wipe when you get onto yeah, the stay. airplane. <laughs> And it's pure alcohol. I, they it's smell 70%. so bad. Oh, it's I think pure it smells good. It smells um, like health. 
<laughs> but I don't think we really, I, I saw, you know, there were those people, a few people, I was never one of them probably should have been, but was never someone who wiped down my seat or any of that. And now watching everyone do that, but then them giving you actually something to do that. I would love if that, as much as I hate the smell, I would love if that was kind of a normal thing where we actually care about the cleanliness of our airplanes now. And that was not a thing before, I don't think. Those seat pockets were nasty. They were like crumb catchers Oof. and they were sticky. Oof. Those magazines. Ew, ew, ew. <laughs> With like corners torn out for people's gum. Sarah, I was I was the person pre-COVID that like brought their wet wipes and was cleaning down stuff. So now I feel super justified okay. and like I fit right in. <laughs> yep. I don't have a specific thing in mind, I guess, but I think in some ways, as we've discussed already, the efficiency of travel has changed in new ways. And I would hope that some of that would stick around, whether it's how we board or deplane, even passing out snacks and water in ways that are more efficient and have less handling by flight attendants. I would hope that some of those things would stick around just for the selfish fact that it makes traveling that much more efficient. I miss the days of early in quarantine. This is, I guess, perk of being an essential worker. I miss the days in early quarantine when there was no one on the road and you could drive so easily. And now, like, as society has opened up somewhat, the traffic has increased. And especially living in northern New Jersey, you, you know, traffic is so much a part of daily life. It was so nice to not have to worry about any sorts of traffic, construction, nothing. I would fly to work easy. And now it's like, uh, people get off the road if, if you don't know how to drive. That's funny, Lauren, because you're the only one of us that works outside of the home. So it's that makes perfect sense that that would be your observation. But it's something that hadn't even crossed my mind. So yeah. that's interesting. You could easily draw everyone who was on the road in March, April into May was essentially essential worker. Right. You know, or especially on the highways, because you right, if you would think if you were really following the quarantine suggestions, you're only going to your grocery stores, mm -hmm. very limited travel. So you wouldn't go to the grocery store that's up the turnpike from you. You'd go to the one that's right. within your town or close or, you know, what, what have you. So you could have essentially assumed that anyone on the road was a essential worker, so basically a healthcare worker or a you know some sort of essential business, or a trucker, um, getting you all your supplies that were backordered on Amazon and all sorts of delivery services. So we were flying, we were flying, and then as time <laughs> um, has gone on, we've slowly and. Responsibly, <laughs> absolutely, but the ability to travel easily was greatly yeah. disinhibited because there was a lot less volume of cars on the road and you didn't see anyone from out of state and who didn't know how to like, oh, wait, my exit's over here on the left, you know, like, and they would have to cut over three lanes at the last second. Like you weren't having any of that because it was just people who drive these routes all the time on the roads. That's my travel wish. Mine's not, mine's a little bit more doom and gloom. <laughs> It's a little bit more pessimistic. It's not a wish, but I, I, at least I found myself, and I think it's the case, of becoming more okay with not leaving the house. And I don't think that's a good thing, honestly. Like, I am definitely not an introverted person, as you all know. And I've become better at not having social interaction. And while I think there's a healthy dose of that, I think there's also unhealthy where... You know, there's been two, three days in a row, my, my past, that I don't have to leave the house. And I find myself becoming more okay with that. And I don't want to be 
And I guess to, to flip it a little bit on its head and be a little bit more positive, obviously the pandemic has affected certain communities more than others. And there's a certain level of privilege that dictates how you're able to deal with these realities. And I think for better, I hope that the new reality is understanding that there are people that are more affected by societal issues like this and the more of an awareness i think of understanding that yeah not everyone is able to work from home not everyone is able to have a job like i have not everyone and maybe maybe some people are completely ignorant to that fact but i hope that the disparities are more there's an education about the disparities and i hope that people take that seriously but i think that the new normal is that people know yeah there's disparities in my neighborhood there's disparities in my community there's disparities because i know that this is how this affected me and this is how it affected maybe because it's a single mom that has two kids in remote learning and has to work during the day and it's an essential worker and how that's different than me who doesn't have any kids and can work from home doing communications work <laughs> from home so so i'm i'm hoping that that people are more aware of that. Yeah, travel is a travel is a privilege. Yeah, yeah. Privilege of Absolutely. wealth. Absolutely. I will say this too. I think that that there's a value of life that comes with how close you are affected by this, right? And I'm not I'm not hoping that everyone gets affected, you know, by this or anything, but also like I think makes you think about what are the things that matter most and how my actions affect others. You know, if there if this leads to a more communal Maybe being wishful thinking, more communal understanding of society, then I think that's a win too. That'd be great. So, yeah. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you for talking through travel and COVID times. If you are listening and you've noticed your behavior has changed, or if you've noticed something, it could be funny, it could be different, or it could be life changing, and you want to share it, please let us know. I'll write it on our Facebook page or Instagram. You can also write the comments on our show notes. We are so happy and blessed and privileged to be even doing this podcast. And so we want to say thank you to everyone who's listening. And we love that we get to do this. And, and we realize that not everyone can do so. So on the count of three, everyone say gracias. Thank you. One, two, three. Gracias. Thank you. Thank you. Gracias. Gracias. Adios. Bye.